Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Have a letter here from Casper and Norma Koning. Uh, Christmas greetings in 2023. The Lord has graciously given us another wonderful year. We are thankful for his care during 64 years of marriage. Norma now has dementia and she is confined to a bed in our living room. We have ladies in our home several hours every day taking care of her and they are a, they are a real help to us. I am taking cardiac rehabilitation for a reoccurring heart condition. Our three daughters, Becky, Debbie, and Maria, uh, anyway, uh, and their good husbands are all doing fine. They are all such blessings to us. Becky has been teaching a Christian school in Tennessee for several years. Debbie has a doctorate and is a psychologist in California. Maria is in charge of a department of the nuclear facility in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. We, rejo we rejoice again in God's goodness and faithfulness to us from day to day. We have a wonderful supportive church. Each Thursday evening we have a church service in our home. The people of our church family gather in our living room and we enjoy the service together. What a great blessing it is for Norma and me. May you experience God's wonderful blessing in the new year, Casper, Casper and Norma Coney. Thank you, Wade. Chronologically going through the Bible, Solomon wrote, but did not include this in his book. Again, this is vital to remember as we approach Ecclesiastes. 200 years later, God used Hezekiah to fix it according to Proverbs 25, verse 1. Proverbs 28 is where we're at. We have a chapter and a half to go through the book. When we hit chapter 30, we're going to leave and go back to uh, 1 Kings, I think it is, where Solomon's narrative is. I'm, I'm convinced that Proverbs 30 and 31 were written during Hezekiah's day, not during Solomon's day, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Verse number 6 in Proverbs 28, Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that's perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Better is the poor. How in the world is it better to be poor? In America, we are taught to work hard and you will achieve the American dream. Therefore, if you don't achieve it, either something's wrong, you, you, weren't, you didn't work hard, you weren't able to work hard, but for whatever reason, your life is not as significant. And that's a mistake, particularly in American society. We measure success based on stuff. The more stuff you got, the, the more successful you are. However, trust me, I'm the cutoff guy for the gas company. There are people with a lot of stuff to get cut off every single month. Just because you got stuff don't mean that it's yours. It just means that somebody was dumb enough to loan it to you until they decide to take it back. It is possible, though, to be godly and rich. This is important. It is possible to be godly and rich. The best example I know of is the Kathy family from Chick-fil-A. Now, Mr. Kathy's passed away, so it's in its state form right now, but the family, from what I understand, is worth $29 billion. 
Now, who is the Kathy family? Who, what is Chick-fil-A? Everybody knows something about Chick-fil-A. That's the fact it's closed on Sunday. Everybody knows that. You know why? Because they took a stand on what they believed and they held to it. And they didn't go broke. Every single Sunday when a Chick-fil-A is closed, it testifies out loud what they believed. That's how important it is to stand by what we believe. However, if we don't take a stand, what in the world is God going to use? That's the question. If we can only choose one side of this proverb, poor that walketh in his uprightness, or perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Stop right there. Isn't there a middle ground between upright and perverse? I mean, upright, you would think, that's way over there. Perverse is way over there, and here I am in the middle, just kind of walking the fence. There is nothing in between. Nothing. Perverse is not seeking Jesus. Upright is seeking Jesus. It is that simple. How do I know? Because anything that doesn't seek Jesus will send a person to hell, making it sin. Anything. Everything seeking Jesus takes a person to heaven. That's exactly what Jesus taught. Those who seek me, find me. If we choose only one side, pick poor and upright. Just go ahead and do it. This will go against everything that we hear about on television. I want to highly recommend to you, if you insist on watching secular television, and wait, you don't watch secular TV at all, do you? No. Okay. Um, I've never been able to take that stand. I like it a little too much. But I found out a way to help. Hey, Terry. I found out a way to help with this materialism thing, and that's to always record the show and then watch it later and skip through the commercials. That helps me so much with materialism. That and also not watching the news. But if we listen, if we allow this stuff to enter our head, it's going to make it even harder to choose poor and upright. Poor doesn't have to be bad. Some of the richest people in the world spiritually were poor in this world. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a camel than to go to heaven. So if you can only choose poor and upright or rich and perverse, not seeking Jesus, go for the poor every single time. Ask the rich man. One thing that I think every time that I read through the story of the rich man and Lazarus, every single time is the fact that that rich man is burning in hell this moment. He was a real person. He is burning in hell this moment. I want you to think about that. What would he say if he could talk today? The only reason he could talk back then was the fact that God wanted to put it in a book so that we could read it and so we could have a little bit of a glimpse of what hell is like. But hell is real. None of the cults believe in hell. And a large percentage of Christians don't believe in hell. They believe there's a place where the devil's going to go, but God loves the rest of us enough, he's going to let us all in. And that is so dangerous for them to believe. This is why it's so important, as Ray talked about Wednesday night, in witnessing. We have to let people know that there's more to it than just saying the sinner's prayer. We have to let them know that. The hardest part, though, you said it right on, is getting started. Getting into the topic. If we don't decide ahead of time what we are going to use to bridge the gap between regular conversation to witnessing, I promise you, you'll never witness. You just won't do it. 
How do I know that? I didn't witness for years and years and years because I was scared. I was terrified. I tried it a couple of times, but I could not get into the religious talk. Decide ahead of time what you're going to say. You brought that out. That was good. Decide ahead of time. I would always, 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 once you decide on this, pick the same line. That way it comes to head. It comes to your mind. Now once that happens, that gives the Holy Spirit something to, to begin working with. I have been through classes that taught how to witness. At Park Ridge, we did Evangelism Explosion, which is um, six weeks, something like that. It's, it's a, quite a, a significant class getting you through every single point of the gospel and illustrations of that point and ultimately leading a person to where they can't say no. I mean, that's really how it's set up. You can't say no. If, the, if you can get them to the end, you'll get them saved. I don't like that stuff. I don't like that stuff at all, okay? It, for me, the thing that has worked for me, and I've shared this many times, what do you think about God? That works for me every single time. You cannot interrupt them, though. You can't. Once they start talking, you let them talk and talk and talk. If it takes hours, you let them talk. Let them run out of gas. Then, can I show you what the Bible says? Go to John 3.16. Works every single time. You said something I disagree with. By the way, it's okay to disagree with whoever the preacher is. Okay, You show me two people that agree on everything, I'll show you at least one that doesn't think. All right? I don't agree with Dad on everything. You said it's very important to get them to make the commitment. I disagree with that. Okay, I believe it's important to take them right up to the point of decision and then say, you do with that whatever you want and then move on to something else. Why? Because that gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to make it real. There, I'm telling you, there's going to be millions of people, according to Scripture, there's going to be millions of people stand at the gate of heaven saying, let me in, and he's going to say, I don't know who you are. That's going to be devastating to people who have said the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer in, its, in, in and of itself is not bad. It's just, it's turned into... Um, Almost a fairy tale song. It's turned into a Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me is a wonderful song if you think about it. If in troubles you live it. But if all it is is a tune, how does it help anybody? So I want to encourage you. Be sure that you're witnessing. Figure out what line you're going to start with. And then let the Holy Spirit do his job. That has helped me more than anything else. Thank you for that sermon, though. That was good. Verse 7. By the way, the end of that story says they will not believe it if somebody comes back from the dead. Why do you say that? Because they won't. They will not. They cannot. They can't. You're saying that if they saw a miracle, they wouldn't believe in Jesus. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm telling you, during Jesus' day, everybody turned against him after all the miracles he did. He asked the 12 disciples, are you also going to leave me? You know why I said that? Because so many people had left. Do you know what he was talking about when they left? Look it up. I dare you. Look it up. Find out what it was that made people so mad they left Jesus. Let's move on. Verse 7. 
Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. First of all, it is riotous, not righteous. Those two words are opposites. What is riotous means? It's the opposite of righteous. What is righteous? Doing the right thing. Riotous is doing the wrong thing. It's where we get our word riot from. Literally, it means to shake. People who shake the system, whatever system we're talking about, whether it's law, whether it's Bible, whether it's at work, people who shake the system cause problems. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. That doesn't mean that he just bends and does whatever he's told. It means he tries to understand it. He tries to, to follow the spirit of what it is other than just looking at the letter of the law. We talked about the speed limit last week and why Wade continuously overdoes it. And the reason is, is he, like the rest of us, feel like that the speed limit is too low. Okay, It's an unjust law. And so we feel like that I should be able to do 5, 10, in your case, 35 miles over the speed limit. <laughs> I talked to someone this past week. He told me that he got arrested one time for speeding, doing 125 in a 25-mile-hour zone. Got arrested for doing 100 miles over the speed limit. He thought the law was unjust. It's too slow. We got a road in Winter Garden. They put concrete barriers up in the middle because so many people are passing because the speed limit is too low. Everybody knows it's too low. And so they made it so you can't pass in that area. Why make it that low? That's what the wise person says. The wise person says, somebody thought this was a good idea. I wonder what that good idea stems from. Even if you can't find it, at least you will have some sort of sympathy, some sort of work in trying to understand it. But he that's a companion of riotous men. Who's the riotous men? They're the guys that pass on the road. They're the guys in the four-wheel drive truck to drive over the concrete barrier. That's the riotous people. They shake it. They shake it, okay? Shameth his father. These are troublemakers. These people are never satisfied, and this is typically how you can identify them. Granted, we have a sin nature, and none of us are ever satisfied. But these people are vocally never satisfied. It's riotous. They enjoy causing trouble. Rarely, they care whether their parents or anybody else thinks about it. It's a riotous person. But what does that mean to me? It means stay away from them. They're troublemakers. Stay away from them. If they ask a question, give them an answer. But don't join in them trying to figure out a way to become their friend, and the next thing you know, they'll start living like you. I've never heard of that happening. Nope. The, the, other, the opposite happens. Yep. Okay? We can witness, but we don't have to become a partaker of their actions. That's where we got to draw the line. Pray for wisdom on that because if we're not careful, we get around no one but Christians and then we turn into really bad people. Okay, this is Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 25 in one verse. Verse number eight. He that by usury and unjust gain. Usury and unjust gain. What is usury and unjust gain? Usury is charging interest. Simple as that. You cannot charge interest unless someone borrows. You can't. You just can't do it. 
I submit to you, the easiest way to avoid this proverb is to give, not loan. That's the easiest way. Just give it, not loan it. A lot of us, though, we have a heart for people. We want to help them, but we want our money back. Usury is charging interest. It was illegal in Israel sometimes. Don't answer. When was it legal to charge interest? When was it not legal to charge interest? This is huge. Huge. I'm going to show you where it's at. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse number 19. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of bills, usury of anything that's lent upon usury, unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury. What is the difference? Law of Moses, you cannot lend money to a fellow Israelite expecting one dime extra. You can't do it. But to a Gentile, charge all you want. By the way, this is where a lot of the uh, Muslim beliefs come from. Is Israel did it. Muslims can do anything they want to a non-believer. In Israel's day, you can charge them all the interest you want because they're not a believer, it doesn't matter. Now, if they become a believer and become a naturalized Jew, then it changes for them. Okay? God has always had a system for Gentiles to become believers. Most Gentiles in those days, not. Because the Holy Spirit had not been given. There wasn't any very little example for them to even want to become a, a Jew. Why is it that God told Moses... Use the Gentiles all you want. Get their money. By the way, the Jews still do this today. Okay? There's a reason why the Jews have a reputation. And this is it right here. Why is it that God told them that? I'm going to ask one question. Don't answer out loud. Doesn't God love everybody? He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he becomes wealthy. He shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. This is a wonderful, wonderful verse if we actually got to see it happen. Often it takes a while, but God will give justice for every sin. In fact, I submit to you, usually it takes a while. And most sins are not even hinted at giving justice in this life. It's in the afterlife. And there's a lot of it. Ask the rich man. Let's back up on that. Why is it that we don't see this happen? He that by usury and unjust gain. Let's call them, okay, right here, the biggest, biggest people who charge interest are the, the payday loan people, okay? You go there, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I've, I've heard of people that have used it, but it's a short-term loan, they give you the money, and then you go back and you gotta pay them like 30 bucks or something like that on top of that. But the interest rate is massively high compared to what banks are allowed to, to spend. He that by usury and understanding increases stuff that he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. Why don't we actually see that happening? Why can't we say, there's a guy that did it, and look what happened to him? 
it's not up to us to enjoy the the uh, the disciplinary action if they're a Christian, the punishment if they're we don't get to do that. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit, we would do the same thing. Never forget that without the Holy Spirit, there I am. So. Um, uh, Remember that God's going to give justice even in these times where people are clearly being taken advantage of. Verse 9, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Does God hear every prayer? It depends on the definition of the word hear. What is the definition of the word hear? Is it sound and he recognizes the sounds? Yes, he hears every, every prayer. Does he listen to every prayer? No. Does he reject prayers? I would say most prayers get rejected. Most prayers get rejected. And the reason for that is most prayers are people saying, God, help me. And as soon as God helps them, then they're back on their life. They want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with the Bible, want nothing to do with Jesus. Okay? That's the typical prayer that goes up. I submit to you, even Christians do the same thing, and God says, you know what, I'm going to fix it because it's part of my plan, but you need to straighten up. You just got to straighten up. Prayers can be and often are rejected. Why? He that turneth away his ear, his ear, his ear, this ear, from hearing the law. Again, not sounds, but registering it. This is very, very important, particularly today. Particularly today, this is very important. The unsaved and often even the saved want God to be Santa Claus. Just because Christmas is over, don't think that people don't still worship Santa Claus. They love Santa Claus. They call him whatever it is that they call him. Not Santa Claus because it's not popular after December the 25th. But... Exactly. It's exactly the same difference. They look at God and say, God, I need this. Please do this for me. And God says, uh, why? Why should I do that for you? I have a picture that I took of a person begging. Had a sign like they all have. At the bottom it said, God bless. I always think... God bless you. He always does what I tell him to because I never do what he tells me to do. It's exactly what I think. Why would God bless somebody because he wrote it on the sign? Why would God bless somebody because he said, God bless you? He is ignoring the law. What does it mean to ignore the law? It's whatever it takes to keep it out of our mind. He insists. God insists we obey. Or he will not bless or rescue Again, we think God just wants to help everybody. Just, he just wants somebody to call out to him. Go to the hospital and find out how many people are calling out to him. How many have experienced miracles? I've told you this many times. Count the miracles of the Bible. It was very rare when Jesus was alive. God insists we obey. What do we obey? God loves everybody. What is there to obey? I'm just supposed to have a good life. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to have a good life. Does it not make sense if there is a God 
that he would communicate what he expects. Does that not make sense? To me, that is the most obvious thing in the world. But very few people are interested in whatever it is they think that God communicated to them, whether it's the Bible or the Quran or, or the Torah, whatever. Very few people are interested in reading God's Word. Why? Because they hear what God expects and they don't want to do what God expects. It's easier to say, well, I didn't know that. Why didn't you know that? I can imagine standing before Jesus as a Christian. Jesus is handing out rewards. And he looks at somebody and says, um, I don't see anything for you. you you've been a bad boy. They say, well, I didn't know you expected all this stuff. Why? How could you not know? How could you not know that I expect this stuff? Well, don't you love everybody? I love my daughter, but there's things I expect from her. If she doesn't do them, she's not getting help from me. Period. It's just not going to happen. Say, oh, that's mean. That's terrible. That has kept her from needing help. That's the purpose of discipline is to prevent problems. When we just dole out assistance for no reason whatsoever, we encourage people, and in God's case, humanity, to sit back and do nothing. And that's not what God does. God insists that we obey. This is something that a lot of Baptists need to carefully consider because we, are, we have a nasty habit of saying, well, did you ever ask Christ in your life? Yes, were you going to heaven? Okay? It's more than that. It's more than that. I'm not saying that you have to do anything. I'm saying that once you're saved, you will do something. Book of James is very clear. The works will follow. The works will follow. No works equals no salvation. Now, other denominations would say, well, they had salvation, then lost it. I submit to you, no, they never had salvation in the first place. They right. had a false hope given to them. That's again why this, the sinner's prayer to me is just, just one of Satan's biggest tools. And, and Sermon is going to kill me on that one, but I, I believe it. I really believe that. There has to be some obedience. Are we going to be perfect? No. But folks, we can't just turn our ear away from it. We can't just turn our ear away from it. Even a backslider has an awareness that he's doing wrong. Even a backslider. Trust me, I've been a backslider. I know it. Even a backslider is aware he's doing wrong. Someone that can go through life as though there is no God and then get to heaven and say, well, Jesus, I believed in Jesus. Let me in. That's not going to happen. Maybe once. I don't see it happening according to the book of James. His mercy is granted very often. What is God's mercy? God's mercy is not striking us dead for the sin that we did yesterday. That's God's mercy. Anything less than us being struck dead for our sin is God's mercy. God's mercy in allowing someone to be wealthy and have all the toys they want and still not believe in Jesus, that's massive amounts of mercy. His mercy is granted very often, but we must not insist on it. And Baptists were dangerous with this one. Just ask God to forgive you. Just ask God to forgive you. I've told this illustration many times. 
I figured out when I was about 10 that you got to say, Lord, forgive me my sins or else you're in trouble. I wasn't sure exactly what happened because you couldn't lose your salvation, but something was going to happen if you didn't say, God, forgive me my sins. I was also very aware that, man, it happens a lot. I thought, wait a second. What if I get pre-forgiveness? Lord, forgive me of all the sins I'm going. And I thought, sure, that was going to work. Forgive me all the sins I'm going to commit. A lot of people, that is the salvation they have. They're not interested in being around God. They want nothing to do with God. They simply want to stay out of hell. Hell is real and people should know about it. But salvation is more than just escaping hell. And these are the things we've got to communicate as we witness. We have to disciple people. That's the purpose of the church is to get them out of this immature mindset to where they can actually understand a little bit about God's word. That's why it's important we teach the Bible. Because the Bible is the only place we actually find God's Word. The whole thing is a process that's wrapped around Scripture, which is given by God so we can understand what He expects. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law. This is the perfect time. Today is the perfect time to begin reading the Bible through. Perfect. Tomorrow's the first. There are multitudes of Bible reading plans where you can read the Bible through in the year 2024. Multitudes. You can even have the Bible read to you online. That's what Alicia does. She has it read to her. Is that I think that's just as valid as long as you're paying attention to it. But so many Christians, Christians, forget the non-Christians, so many Christians, I don't want to hear all that. I don't understand it. And I don't want to try. And that's deadly because we're deciding to turn our ear from hearing the law. Does that make us unsaved? No. This simply makes our prayers abomination. We wonder why God don't answer prayer for us. Find out for yourself what it says to you as you read. Why did God put this in my Bible? That has helped me more than anything in sermon preparation. Why did God put this here? What is God saying as a whole in the book, as a whole in the chapter, as a whole in the context, as a whole in the verse? Look at it from different angles. Why did God, what's he saying to me? Not what is he saying to somebody else, what is he saying to me? That will help bring it to life. Again, though, we can say, I'm not going to do that. I tried it. It was too hard. not going to do it. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. You got to do it because you want to know what God says to you. Anything short of that, you don't even bother trying. It's just, it's not going to work. I have been there so many times until the Holy Spirit made me want to see what it says to me. That is the key that keeps it going. Even his prayer should be abomination. Proverbs 15:8, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord, basically saying the same thing. Verse 10. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way. This is likely using temptation. Likely using temptation. I'm glad Michelle is not here today because she totally disagrees with me on this. Totally. If what I'm about to teach offends you, ignore it. Just ignore it. But what I read there 
and other places in Scripture is if I do something that encourages someone else to do the same thing, I'm encouraging that activity and I'm therefore guilty of this. If I do something that encourages someone else to do the same thing, I'm guilty. He that causes the righteous to go away is the evil way, likely using temptation. Some people, not all male or female, some people, man, if you don't like this, please ignore it. Please ignore it. Because this makes my wife just fighting mad. Some people say that a girl has the right to expect safety even if she is totally drunk and half naked. And I submit to you, no, she don't. Because she is enticing. She's not enticing herself to be raped. She is drawing attention to herself. Just being there encourages bad things to happen. Nothing good happens after 12 o'clock. That's true. Nothing good happens after 12 o'clock. Took me a long time to figure that out. If we don't put ourselves in the situation, if we don't do things that allow the situation to happen, I'm part of the problem. I don't have the right to expect God to keep me safe in those situations because I'm literally tempting the devil to come at me. And others. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way. If I go to places where we get drunk, I encourage you to also go to places where we get drunk. If I don't dress decently, I encourage you to dress not decently. Doesn't mean you're going to follow. But if you do, I'm guilty. That's all I'm saying. This is likely used in temptation, but it could also be deception. He shall fall himself into his own pit. If you tempt someone else, you will fall into the pit of the temptation. Proverbs 26, 27. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein. Simple as that. He that rolleth the stone, it will return upon him. Let's go out and test it. What do you say? I'll dig a hole, and let's see if I accidentally fall in. Not how it works. Okay, this is back to God's justice. He's saying, ultimately, there will be justice that will come upon it, and I submit to you, there will be discipline in the lives of Christians when we do these sort of things. Justice doesn't always happen immediately. Revelation 20, and I'm going to close with this because it's a wonderful, wonderful place to be in on the last day of the year. This is what I read this morning, finishing out this year. I'm not proud of it because there were so many years that I didn't do it. I'm just I'm, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit put it in me to do it. I read this this morning. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. Is there a more appropriate application of whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit? There is no better illustration than that. Justice is coming. What is my life going to look at, look like between now and then? Father, thank you for, for Proverbs. Thank you for Solomon. Thank you for the occasion to start reading the Bible again.
please motivate us for those that do read the Bible please speak to us please help us to want to know what you're saying to us and then do it in Jesus name Amen, amen.